Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Oh, got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Green Mountain Dental Group. A um, whole lot to talk about today. I think I have, what is this? This is about 800 words in notes, and that's not even the notes on the Stanford game, which I finally got around to watching. Um, going to be a whole bunch of information today. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, though. Um, buckle up, because this might be a long one. Um before we start talking about the buffs, though, I want to talk more about Green Mountain Dental Group. Green Mountain Dental is an awesome place to go get your teeth cleaned. Uh, they're huge Colorado sports fans. It's a family-owned business. Uh, great reviews. Uh, There's so many reasons to pick them, but the best reason um, is that if you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam at Green Mountain Dental Group, they'll give you a free Sonicare toothbrush. That's a great deal. Don't miss out on it. Uh, take advantage. Um, and again, conveniently located just 15 minutes away from downtown Denver and Lakewood. Um, yeah, Green Mountain Dental. Get out there. Okay. Um, let's see. Where to start? I mean, we should probably start by talking about James Stefano. Stefano. What? I said that really weird. Um for those of you who haven't heard, James retired yesterday. Um, a great career as a buff, all-time leader in extra point percentage. Uh, I think fourth all-time in field goal percentage. Uh, great career for him. Sad to see him leave too soon, um, but wish him the best no matter what. Um, you know, he missed the last couple of games last year with... Um, a hip injury that needed surgery over the offseason. He said it all went well, um, that the recovery was great and he felt fine. Uh, but we did hear after the game on Saturday that he wasn't feeling like himself, that he was a little bit banged up. And that's why uh, Evan Price actually finished the game off kicking. Um, it was a tough night for James. I didn't miss any of the many extra points. Um, but he did have a couple missed field goals. I guess one was blocked. There was the one from, I think, 51. I think it was 51 that he, he left short. Um, 
you know, at the time you see it and you're like, huh, that's kind of strange. That seems like something that he can do. But then you realize, well, he might have been not feeling like himself. Um, and that would kind of explain what's been going on. Uh, so, yeah, uh, moving forward, the kicker will be Evan Price. Uh, he actually hit the game winner against Stanford last year. So maybe that's a good omen. Um, and then the Buffs also, you may remember, uh, signed or not signed. They got a commitment from the number one kicker in the upcoming class. So that's kind of the future of the position. Um, Evan Price closes out the season and then there's probably a kicker battle in camp. Um, and I don't think there is anything I enjoy more than a good kicker battle in camp. Um, so there's your James Stefano update. Stefano, why am I saying his name weird today? I'm not really sure. Um, let's just jump in. So we heard from, uh, wow, all the way back to this morning. So Chris Wilson was first, uh, then heard from Jalen Sami, uh, and then from Dimitri Stanley. And then this afternoon, we heard from David Shaw, the, uh, oh, wait, one second. I don't want to butcher his title. The, uh, the Bradford M. Freeman Director of Football at Stanford, um, which you may know better as a, a football coach. Bradford M. Freeman Director of Football, coach, whichever one you think is easier and more reasonable to say. Um, Chris Wilson, though, uh, defensive line coach, came in this uh, offseason replacing Jimmy Brumbaugh. Great resume. Uh, Key points, he won a Super Bowl as a defensive line coach with the Eagles a few years ago. Defensive line was great that year, um, and he's been all over the place. A bunch of big programs, a bunch of NFL teams, um, very well respected. Um, and he told us about his defensive line today. Uh, he said that he was pretty happy with how it played, um, that he was impressed. Um, he talked a little bit about the rotations, which I think is interesting. Um you know, uh, we talked a lot on this podcast, or I talked a lot on this podcast about how there is a really deep rotation with the defensive line. You know, you're typically seeing seven, eight guys get in, and I guess I still haven't looked at what the numbers were, um, but it was it was right around there for three defensive line spots, so that's a significant rotation. But what he said was, the first nine possessions, we really didn't rotate because we got so many three and outs and there were the turnovers. And because of that, you kind of just put your guys out there and before you know it, the drive is over. And that's the way it's really supposed to work. It's only on those longer drives um, in the second half in particular where you get into that second unit of guys just because they weren't getting the stops at the same rate that they were getting stops early in the game. Um uh, he, he did say that when they put in those uh, other guys, the depth guys really, um, they, that he thought that they did their job well and that he's happy that they did get in because he wants to build confidence. He wants them to be comfortable on the field. Um, and also he says that they practice better after they get to play. You know, it, it feels like it matters just a little bit more. Um, some interesting thoughts in there. Um Talked about Jalen Sami, said that he hasn't reached his ceiling, um, that he has a very high ceiling, that he is a very, he has the potential to be a very special player just because of his natural size, which is a phrase that I really liked, um, saying, 
we didn't have to like feed him and and put as much as many calories as we could inside that man's body to get him to 325 like this is just who he naturally is is a very tall man who is a very wide man and he's heavy and thick and he has long arms too and when you have all those things your path to being very successful becomes a lot easier um he said that uh Jalen has some dominant traits and that he has, like I said, a very high ceiling. He also said that, you know, th- this has been kind of a challenge for him, the, the different technique that they're playing with, different style. Uh, he said it's not really like he, he wouldn't call it like a different scheme, which is interesting because I've thrown that word around a, a couple of times when talking about the changes. Um, but he said it's more of a style difference. And, th- and the, with this difference, you know, we've talked about this a lot. You need to be fast and explosive and getting into the backfield, which, you know, as, as a nose tackle, isn't necessarily what Jalen has always been trained to do. You know, he's clogging things up. He's pushing guys back. He isn't necessarily like trying to slip by people into the backfield. And that that's just going to take some time to, to play this faster, more physical style. And, uh, that you know you're always kind of in attack mode um so some interesting stuff in there as well um he said overall everybody's playing with great technique great effort and that's really important um talking about stanford he said stanford's going to do what stanford does um they're they're balanced but they do run the ball a lot um it's a challenge um, but that everybody's excited. And that's basically what we learned from Chris Wilson. Um, moving along to Jalen Sami, um, he said that as well that it is a challenge switching this technique. He said that it's fun. He said that it's really good experience for him um, and uh, that he's still working on it. Um, it but, you know, again, the, the, the tough part for somebody that big is just getting off the ball quickly every single time, and that's really what is being dictated to this defensive line group. Um, you know, Jalen said that they're treating every down like it's a pass rush, which I really like to hear because that's something that was desperately missing last year on early downs was just like an easy pass rush. You know, somebody getting in there and just ruining a play by themselves because that's what every defensive lineman has the potential to do on every single play. There just wasn't enough of it last year. And so changing things this year um, to the one gap scheme or not scheme, sorry, the one gap style. um, I think that as we go throughout the season, you're just going to see everybody get better and better. Um, And Jalen said the same thing, you know, there's more production rushing the passer and there's more production stuffing the runs. Um, in terms of his own development, he said that he feels like he came back 10% better this season. Um, he, he says that he sees what Chris Wilson's vision for him is and that that is very important. Um, being powerful, strong at the line of scrimmage. Um, and he also said that he doesn't feel like he's been living up to the hype, um, which is not something you always hear somebody say. Uh, but coming from Jalen, you know, it isn't like a huge surprise because he is a very a well-spoken, well-thought-out-in-his-answers type of guy. Um, but he does think that there is another gear that he's still just right around the corner from getting to. Um, yeah, uh, going up against uh, the center for 
Stanford this week, um, whose first name I'm forgetting, his last name is Dahlman. Um, by the end of the week, we will know all these games or names. I promise you that. Oh, there we go. Um, Drew Dahlman, uh, who's like a legitimate NFL draft prospect. He's a, the senior center for Stanford. Uh, he was picked the the number. Uh, I guess he's first team preseason All Pac-12 at center. Um, so that's a uh, that's a good football player. And there are a couple on this football team. We're gonna get into that later in the show. But um, Jalen said that that does fire him up. Um, he said that he remembers going up against him last year. It was a good battle. Um, but again, he said we're coming at this with different technique this year um and that they're really emphasizing the physicality um and and that they kind of want to be the more physical team in the trenches especially considering that that's kind of what stanford's built on is running the football um also said some interesting stuff about last week playing against dorian thompson robinson saying that there was an, an effort to collapse the pocket um you're really trying to contain DTR and so you you don't necessarily want to just fly by into the backfield and let him juke you out it's really about everybody just pushing their guy back getting that pocket smaller and smaller trap him inside and then bring him down um said like he's made the plays in the past they wanted to force him to throw the football um and he said that we needed more than one sack we needed more pressure we needed to help out the dbs more um and you know i i agree but it, it is good to me hearing that there was kind of a reason why there wasn't just a little bit more pressure um, because there were flashes of it or, you know, we've talked about this a little bit, um, I guess, on the post-game show, um, how it kind of felt like sometimes Mustafa would just, like, get into the backfield, like, go up the middle into the backfield, but then there was just nobody there to make the play. Uh, there, you didn't have your outside rushers looping around when you get them teed up because that's really how it's supposed to work. Either you have like your outside guys getting around the outside and pushing him up in the pocket so that one of the interior rushers can hopefully get by their guy and bring him down, or you have your interior guys push him back, essentially putting him on a tee, changing the, that angle so it's easier to get around the tackle for those outside guys um, instead of making them curl all the way around and get back upfield. You kind of push him back and change that angle, um, but it just wasn't quite there. Um, I expect that to be different this week. We'll get to that shortly. Um, Dimitri Stanley uh, had some interesting stuff to say. Uh, he said that they're just ready to move on to the next game. 0-0 zero zero right now. There's seven rounds in this fight, and this is round two. Um, he also said that he personally has a, a long ways to go. Like He feels good about getting six catches, but he thinks that he has more in the tank. Um, he said he expected exactly what Jarek did on Saturday uh, and really wanted to point out that he's a, a good guy on the field and off the field, and it's really easy to root for him. Um he also said he knew that Sam could run like he did, um, but he also said that he told him to slide more, which is a theme that we've been hearing, and I think it's probably a good point that should definitely be made to Sam, honestly, like, constantly. Because if he gets hurt, 
let's not even talk about that. I'm going to knock on some wood and hope that that never happens. But uh, he also talked about the hurry-up offense that they were running, um, and he said that, and this was one of my favorite parts of the entire day was hearing him talk about this stuff, but um, he said altitude kicks anybody's butt if you aren't used to it. And then he said that they actually heard a couple of the UCLA players say that they were tired, like, like that they were worn out, and be- it was because of the elevation. And then Dimitri said, you know, that's when we realized that we kind of had them beat and we were going to win. And I love that. You know, you're not going to have that advantage having the elevation when you go out to Stanford, um, which has to be pretty close to sea level, I would imagine. Um See, I just I just throw those thoughts out there like that, and I know that this is going to be one of those things that I say that's just wrong. But it doesn't matter. Um, talked about the hurry-up, talked about uh, his onside kick. Uh, he said he definitely had a lane where this was like the onside kick at the end of the game that could have given Stanford their first possession in, within one score of the buffs since halfway through the first quarter. Um, Dimitri recovered it, but... The in practice they just say secure the ball get down secure the ball get down every time they do those drills it's secure the ball get down training kicked in even though he did have like the running lane in front of him and he could have we likely would have returned that for a touchdown if he wanted it he knew you just get the ball you get down run out the clock it's good to to hear that um because We've seen teams struggle. You know, there was the Todd Gurley touchdown that gave the ball back to the other team. They wound up losing. There was the Penn State touchdown when they could have ran out the clock, and they wound up losing because of it. Um, The Buffs didn't do that. So, you know, sometimes you don't think about those instances when they don't happen, when they aren't noteworthy. You know, if, if he had returned that and then crazy things happen, and Stanford, or not Stanford, sorry, uh, UCLA does have a chance to win, you're like, oh, no, how do you let that happen? I think it's important in these moments to realize there was a 19-year-old kid who saw a clear path to the end zone and didn't take it, deserves some applause. Um, He also said that it was kind of a boost of confidence to go get that win. Um, Just, it wasn't that they doubted themselves, but now you know that you can compete. You've gone out there, you've done the job, and that it was particularly nice after what happened in the UCLA game last year, um, which was an ugly one, down like 17 zip to start that thing out. Um, Talked about Stanford a little bit, not all that in depth, basically said they have a talented defense, they're very well coached, um, and and it's a very well-rounded defense. Um, And I think that that was all the stuff from Dimitri Stanley. All right, we are... 17 half minutes in this is a good time to remind you guys about how much i love beers from breckenridge brewery they are so good um and you should definitely be drinking them um the strawberry sky the avalanche amber ale the palisade peach the broncos country copper lager there are so many great beers there is definitely one you like, and you're probably going to just fall in love with all of them like everybody at DNVR has. Um, so check them out. Go to the beer locator on the Breckenridge Brewery website. It'll tell you exactly where you can pick up whatever beer you want to try. Uh, you can come down to the DNVR bar. There are eight Breckenridge beers on tap. Um, we'll be there on Saturday again. And again, I we guess we haven't had the conversation, but I don't expect there will be a watch party. Um, 
because of the pandemic um, that seems to be getting worse by the day. Um, I guess this is as good a time as any. <laughs> no, it isn't. This is a terrible time to talk about the pandemic, but um, be prepared for this week to get real ugly in terms of cancellations with the numbers up everywhere. We're seeing a bunch of the national reporters start to leave ominous tweets around that make you think like, wait, is this going to be like one of those 50-50 weeks in terms of games that get played? You know, we already lost Bama, LSU. We've lost a couple of others. Um, things will probably be okay for the buffs, but keep your fingers crossed or say your prayers or whatever you do if you really want this to uh, <laughs> to happen because it does kind of feel like they're around the corner. Not, not Colorado. This isn't me saying that that's going to happen, but just like in general everywhere, this is shaping up to be a big cancellation week. Um, back to my ads though. Oh yeah, and I should also say... Um, like like I was saying, we will be at the DMVR bar on Saturday for the post game. Um, if you guys want to hang out, come hang out. Obviously, like it'll be a very responsible way as it always is. Um, but always love to see everybody. It should be a good afternoon. Um, assuming bars are still open, which is always a question. Um, uh, oh, this is also the time where. I should tell you all that uh, there is the subscription competition that's going on at DNVR between all of the beats. Um, it'd be really nice to, at the very least, beat the Rams, which, I mean, we should be able to do that. But also going and beating the Broncos would be a dream. I think we can get the Rockies for sure. Um yeah, uh, but we need your help on the buff speed here because, as I said, for this week only, we're having this contest. Um, Broncos usually win. The Avs have been on their heels a couple of times um, because we do this every year. And I, I, there are actually a lot of you who probably don't know this, but DMVR isn't just a podcast network. We also offer the best online sports publication for Denver sports fans in the world. Uh, a membership gives you access to the stories on the site bdmvr.com uh, you get discounts every week on merchandise access to our members only chat room for diehard fans and even a giant beer at our bar you know your beer gets upgraded in size every single time for free if you're a dmvr member um, plus again if you sign up this week using code buffs you get a free t-shirt of your choice from the dmvr locker a free dmvr mask and you also get a free sticker pack with your order. So make sure you take advantage of that. Help us beat all those other losers that I work with. Um, and go to thedmvr.com, click on the Join tab, select the annual pass. Make sure you use that code BUFFS when you sign up so our fan base gets credit for it. Okay, um, we're going to jump into David Shaw now. And then hopefully... I'm, I'm going to try to talk about this in a way that makes sense before we talk about what we need to know about Stanford because I've been doing my research, I've been watching a lot of football, and I have a whole lot of takes about the Stanford football team. Um, so we'll hit on the some of the bigger points when talking about David Shaw and then work into the details um, with whatever time we have left. Okay, so... Um, started out with David Shaw saying, we're not happy playing good teams tight. 
Um, this is a young team, and it's going to have some growing pains, but we need to be better, and we think we will be better. Um, he did not have an update on any of their four positive tests for the coronavirus, um, which is which is important because they were without their starting quarterback last week um, because he because of COVID related reasons. I don't think we know for sure like whether he had it or whether he came into contact with somebody or what, um, but we do know that he missed the game because of that. And Davis Mills, that quarterback, he could prove to be a very good quarterback very soon. Um, he is a senior, but obviously he can play again next year if he wants to. Wasn't great last year. I think he was like he was over sixty percent completion percentage. I think like something like eleven touchdowns, five interceptions. Like he was solid coming in for KJ Costello when KJ got that concussion early in the year and then he held on to the job. Uh KJ wound up transferring after two years as a captain to uh Mississippi State so he could play the air raid with um Mike Leach, making this purely Davis Mills's team and it likely would have been that way even if KJ had stayed. Davis Mills is supposed to be really good. He was the number one pro-style quarterback in his class. Um, I'm pretty sure he was ranked ahead of like Tua Tagovailoa for one and the rest of the quarterbacks, obviously, because he was number one for two. Um, so while he wasn't you know, an all-Pac-12 quarterback last year, I don't think. <laughs> uh, no, there's no way. But... uh he does have a lot of the skills that that type of quarterback would have. And a lot of people thought that this was going to be the year after getting, you know, I guess he did start, I think it was more than half the games last year, but this was his chance to really like take a big step forward um, and, and prove that he is as talented as the people who give out stars say he was as a five-star prospect and the number one pro quarterback in his class. Um, we still don't know if he'll play. It'll be interesting to see what will happen if he does get cleared late in the week, um, just because he obviously hasn't been practicing, and that makes things really hard. Um, speaking of not practicing, though, Jack West, who started the, the game at quarterback for Stanford last week, he didn't get to practice all week, and that's something that... Um, David Shaw mentioned um, was that he was kind of in a tough spot. You know, he got the backup reps at practice last week, but emphasized that he is a very smart player, a very mature player. Uh, he's a junior, by the way. Um, and that he got, he was 100% on all of the checks and audibles. Like he was not making any mistakes. According to David Shaw, he did everything he was supposed to do. Um, he said that he played very well. He managed the game very well. Uh, he had some good throws, um, but the throws that he missed, uh, I think he was 13 of 19 passing. Um, they were the timing throws, you know, a lot of deep balls, the fades, and that he really does need to start hitting on more of those. Um, they also rotated in their number three quarterback. Uh, he, I think he threw like seven passes. It was kind of like a Tyler Lytle situation. Um, David said that if 
Davis, wow, that's a confusing sentence. David Shaw said that if Davis Mills can't play this week, that uh, they would likely be rotating those players again. It's Davis's job as soon as he's ready to go, though. Um, we'll talk more about those quarterbacks in a little bit. Um, there were some issues at the goal line. Uh, there was one series, I think they might have thrown the ball three times from like the three-yard line or something like that, um, which is very un-Stanford, not on brand. And what David Shaw said was, I mean, <laughs> he almost got a little bit defensive, basically saying like, over the last 10 years, we've proven that we are very balanced at the goal line. Um, if, if you give us a loaded box and we have one-on-one coverage outside, we are going to let our playmakers outside go make plays. And if we think we can run the ball, then we're going to run and we are going to continue to be very balanced in those situations. Um, and that it's kind of like, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. If If they had completed one of those passes, um, then nobody would be saying, why didn't you run the ball in that situation? Um, it's just one of those things like what happened obviously didn't work and it needs to get better, but he doesn't seem to have any, like he isn't going to just change his philosophies out all of a sudden. Um, and you know, that's, that's probably good. He's in, he's in an interesting spot having been at Stanford for almost a decade now. Maybe this, this might be his 10th season. Um, but also coming off a pretty rough season. And that's another thing that I guess we should probably save for later. Um, but not, he's not on the hot seat, but he's certainly on a pretty warm seat. Um, do, 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 where are we here? Okay. Um, talking about Colorado, David said that he's been really impressed by Carl Durrell. That, you know, the situation that he was put into was not a good situation. And to come out and get a win is very impressive. He said the team played great. He said that Colorado has been one of the underrated teams in the conference for the last couple of years. That they don't get the credit that they deserve. Um, that there have been some big wins. There have been some close losses. That they have a very multiple defense. There are a lot of different things that they can do on that side of the ball. And they change things up on you. Uh, it's hard to stay on the field on third down against Colorado. Uh, Colorado is a great blitz package. They have playmakers. Um, a, a lot of praise. Um, talked a little bit about Sam saying that, you know, they'll probably go back and look at some of his high school tape. Um, I guess he didn't really build on that. He's, I think what he said was usually we go back and get high school tape. Uh, I guess he didn't necessarily say that they were going to do it, but he brought it up, so they likely did. Um, talking about running quarterbacks, um, he said, we learned this week what happens when a quarterback can run. You know, again, we're kind of getting into this Oregon stuff. That's what who the Stanford played this week. Um, and Stanford's quarterback did run. And it was something that they didn't really... I'm not going to say I didn't expect it. Like what David said was against anybody, like in college football, that is a thing that you always have to be planning for. Um, but they might have been a little bit surprised just how much he ran. Um, another thing he said is that you anticipate the next team doing what went well for the last team. Um, 
meaning essentially that Colorado is probably going to take a couple of the things that worked well for Oregon, um, potentially the speed option, which is something that David Shaw brought up, saying like this is something they beat us. They were able to attack our edge that way, and it worked for them. Um, he said Colorado is aggressive, fast, physical, um, that they didn't look like they were playing game one, and that they played football the way that you're supposed to play. Um, I think that's it for Colorado. Going back to the, the Stanford game against Oregon, um, he said that the big problem late was that Oregon was able to run between the tackles and that there may have been a couple of mistakes in terms of run fits from the Stanford defense. Um, and also that defensively, you need your playmakers to be making plays on the ball when it's in the air. Um, so look for some jumped routes, that sort of thing this week as well. Um, Oh, he did have another interesting thing that he said about quarterbacks running. Um, and he was talking about runs for quarterbacks basically when everybody's in coverage. Um, you know, man coverage. There was one play in particular where I mean, it was man coverage, a hole opened in the offensive line, and the Oregon quarterback just took off and ran with nobody on that half of the field and picked up probably like 30 yards, maybe even more than that. Um, and talking about those sorts of plays, uh, those runs when you're just kind of in coverage and man coverage back behind them, David Shaw said, those are just tough, which is interesting because you would expect for that to be something that you always kind of have a, a plan for. Like, you know, okay, we're in man coverage. That's going to mean that a lot of the players downfield are going to have their back to the quarterback they're going to be able to create empty spaces. And I guess sometimes you just say, like, this is how you might be able to beat us on this play. Like, there are a lot of things we like about it. We like that we can keep safeties back here, um, and those safeties can provide support for these corners who can hopefully just lock down the receivers themselves. And by doing all of that, you're essentially limiting the the passing game. But if you, they just take off and run, that might be there. If the pass rush doesn't get there, if the, the play just doesn't develop the way that the defense needs it to develop. Um, so I thought it was kind of interesting. That's something that I have been thinking a lot about. Um, he said that he was impressed by his offensive line um, and, and that they were going up against one of the best fronts in the conference. Um, and he wanted to remind people that this offensive line, as well as it played, it's at the middle point, not at its ceiling. Um, and that going forward, this should be one of the best offensive lines in the country. And, and he's right. You know, maybe this is how we're going to transition into talking about this Stanford team. But it is a very good offensive line. Um, starting three sophomores, two seniors. The two seniors, one of them is Drew Dahlman, the center who we talked about. Um, preseason All-Pac-12 potential day two pick uh, this spring. Um, and then uh, Foster Sorrell, the other senior, the right tackle. Um, it's 6'7", 315. That's another high-level NFL draft prospect, somebody who's going to be taken pretty early. Um, and they were supposed to have another. They were supposed to have Walker Little, who might still be a top-10 pick, but he opted out this season. And like when you have NFL players at left tackle, center, and right tackle – you're you're gonna be beating a lot of football teams. Um, what's interesting though is that everybody else on the two deep, the other eight players are all sophomores. Um, two of them from Colorado, by the way. Um, 
maybe don't let so many of those linemen go from Colorado to Stanford. That's a conversation for the offseason, though. Um, the, the line is good. The line is very good. Um, they held their own against Oregon, which Oregon has all sorts of talent. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau looked otherworldly. That is just a special player, and they have more of them. And so it was really impressive that they were able to do what they did. Um, again, I guess I should pull up these numbers from this game because it wasn't like they were just running free. Um, it, it wasn't easy for them. Um, if you guys didn't watch the game, basically what happened was um, Stanford was tied. I mean, they, they went up first, I believe. They went up 7-zip. Um, and then... I think by halftime, Oregon had made it 14 to seven, um, but Stanford had already missed two field goals. They would end up missing, I think only one more field goal. No, it was 0 for 4. 0 for 4 on field goals. Two of them, the holder had the laces out, and so you can't really blame the kicker. Um, but this has potential to be a pretty rough week for kickers just because like, Colorado last week was well, see I leave the Colorado page for the Stanford Oregon game and so I don't have the number but they missed I think three field goals um Stanford missed four field goals the Buffs kicker literally retired this week so that's going to be a storyline is who makes their kicks and and honestly who is able to just score touchdowns so they don't have to rely on the kickers um when you look at this offense, though, for Stanford, obviously you like the offensive line. Um, they did run for 197 yards. It was 6.4 yards per carry, but that was really buoyed by one big play from uh, Nathaniel Pete. He had six carries for 93 yards, but one of them was for 73 and that was, it was a flash for sure. Um, Stanford no longer has Cameron Scarlett, the big bulky running back who did the heavy lifting for him last year. Instead, they have two younger running backs in uh, Pete and Austin Jones. Austin Jones did the majority of the work, 20 carries, 100 yards, two touchdowns. But Pete is a real home run threat. Um, he's incredibly fast. Uh, if if I were Stanford, I would be getting him the ball quite a bit more this week. Um, and that's something to pay attention to because while Jones didn't really show as much burst as I kind of expected him to, Pete definitely did. And this combination might be something that changes over time in, in terms of who gets more touches and who gets which touches. But they're... Uh, Pete scares me a lot more than Jones does. And I guess that's how we can wrap that up. Um, also worth noting that the majority of the work that Stanford did in the running game was right next to that All-Pac-12 preseason All-Pac-12 center. Um, I think uh, if if you like look at their uh, the breakdown of like which gap they hit and their yards per carry, one and two were like to the right of the center and to the left of the center, and things kind of just worked out from there. I think they averaged something like six, seven yards per carry when they just went through the A-gaps. So 
pay attention to that as well. That's Jalen Sami territory. That's really going to be one of the big battles this week in my mind is can Jalen Sami, you know, force double teams? That would be really nice. Um, and can he just win? You know, can he go out there against the best center in the Pac-12 and make some plays and take away those runs um, that the the Oregon defense couldn't take away for whatever reason. Um, we might as well get to that reason now. You know, Oregon played a lot with uh, Nef. Not wait, not Nephi Sewell. No, no, it's Noah Sewell. Noah Sewell's the linebacker. Uh, Noah Sewell is the younger brother of Penny Sewell who is the left tackle for Oregon who opted out. He's going to be a top five pick um, in the draft. He's incredible, and he just turned 20 like two weeks ago or something crazy like that. Um, Very athletic family. Noah Sewell was the number two rated inside linebacker in his class. Uh, He's a true freshman this year, and he is... 260 pounds like he is just this massive guy and there were a lot of things to like but also he struggled they there were a lot of reps for Justin Flo the number one linebacker in the class which is pretty crazy that Oregon got both of them but those two were right there in the middle of the field and they didn't play perfect football and so that's kind of part of the reason why things went so well when Stanford just ran the ball right up the middle but what I think is most interesting about this Stanford offense is how they passed the football. It's pretty crazy, but like I said before, uh, Jack West threw the ball 19 times. 19 times. And 15 of those 19 throws were thrown between the numbers. Or, or sorry, but between, yeah, between the numbers. Nothing was outside. There were four total passes outside of the numbers, all of them were at least 20 yards downfield, um, and, and he hit on one of them, um, a deep ball to Semi Fioco, Fioco who uh, is for real, and we'll talk about in just a second. Um, but what Jack West do, do, did, the, the backup quarterback who stepped in for Davis Mills, who was out because of COVID-related issues, was just dominate the middle of the field. Like, it's crazy to look at. Um, you have the boxes on the chart behind the line of scrimmage, but in between the numbers, he was 3 of 3. He was 7 of 8 from 0 to 10 yards in between the numbers. He was 1 of 1 from 10 to 20 yards in between the numbers. And he was 1 of 2 uh, when going 20 plus yards between the numbers. Crazy efficient. And from 20 yards and in, he didn't even try to throw a ball outside the numbers. So if Jack West is the quarterback again this week, m- maybe they do some self-scouting and say, hey, we, we really got to stress the defense outside just a little bit more. But that's not something that Jack West was doing last week. L- I mean, not literally all of them. There were four throws that were outside the numbers, but they were all deep shots. There were those timing throws that David Shaw was talking about him missing. Those were the ones that were outside the numbers. So... Keep that in mind if you are Tyson Summers, knowing that, you know, part of that might be because you have the two young linebackers for Oregon getting their first action, and you can kind of pick on those two. But, I mean, it's very clear what Jack West felt comfortable doing, and I don't think that's just going to change 
now that he's potentially making his second start. We don't know whether it'll be him or Davis Mills. Um, but that, that means that they're going to be stressing Nate Landman and Akil Jones in the middle. This is going to be a big week for those two. Um, I think that one of the keys to the game honestly should be getting an interception from one of your linebackers. You know, I'll, I'll throw the outside linebackers in there too so that you can get one of those like Carson Wells picks from this week where he looks like he's going to rush and then just drops back into the coverage and the quarterback doesn't expect it. Like, we'll take one of those too. But I really think that what the Buffs need this week is uh, one of those types of turnovers, one of those two just jumping a pass in the middle um, because, you know, that's where the ball is going to be thrown uh, and Jack West has been really efficient throwing the ball there. Um, on top of that, what you what scares me about this team in particular, honestly, isn't even the run game. Um, as, as crazy as that sounds, because it is Stanford and they've built that identity on that big offensive line and running the ball, you know, until you see these running backs do just a little bit more. And like, it's not like 20 carries for 100 yards and two touchdowns is a bad thing, but... I'm willing to give that up if I'm Colorado. If Am I? Yeah. To the, to the touchdowns is tough. But I think these young running backs, neither of them is Jarek Broussard. We'll just say that. Um, the receivers, though, are very big, very strong, very physical. And that scares me when Colorado has such a young secondary. Um you know, Mark Perry isn't a small guy. He's he's actually a very big guy, but he isn't what he's going to be in two years. You know, he, he still hasn't totally, like, filled out in the way that he could fill out. And he hasn't added all, like, the grown men's strength that he is going to add. And I think that's true across the board. Um, Christian Gonzalez in particular... I'm a little bit worried about what's going to happen just because although he is the the big cornerback, he's never guarded somebody who's six foot four and two hundred and twenty seven pounds and runs the way that Semi Fioku does. Because there are just very few of those players like Semi Fioku Fioko. Wow, I'm, names today I've been struggling with, but. You definitely don't see them in high school. You know, these are Chase Claypool type of numbers. When you look at 6'4", 227 pounds, and he can just fly. And, and he did fly. Uh, he, he looked very good against Stanford. I guess he only caught three balls, but they were big ones. 88 yards. That's 29.3 yards per catch. Just massive. Last year, he led the Pac-12 in yards per catch. He also was number two in the entire FBS with a little over 24 yards per catch. He's going to be a problem for Colorado. And if, if I'm the defensive coordinator, what I'm thinking is, you know that for whatever reason, Jack West just refused to throw the ball outside the numbers unless it was 20 yards downfield. When you're working off of the cover three match scheme that the Buffs run predominantly when they're on defense, I think that what you want to do is let those corners just go deep. Give those outside receivers some cushion and kind of just dare Jack West to take advantage of those throws underneath, to, to make those out route throws, you know, 
which are also kind of timing throws, make him show you that he does have the arm strength to, to whip those balls into those windows before a guy like Christian Gonzalez, who we've heard about his closing ability, breaks on that ball and is able to knock it away. Because I do think that you can afford to give some cushion. Um, especially when you're working with Semi Fioko, and especially when you have the reputation that this Buffs defense has, which is that they give up a lot of big plays. And this seems like a game where you have those two sit back outside take away those deep shots outside and you pack the middle of the field and say, before we waste defenders guarding somewhere where this quarterback has never thrown the ball, we're going to make you beat us because we aren't giving that to you. And we'll keep the play in front of us using this strategy and you'll be just fine. I think that in terms of generating a pass rush, this is going to be a, a real test. Like I said, this is a very good offensive line, but it isn't totally clicking. Like, I think that there is an, another level. Um, they were good in pass protection against a very good front seven, and you have to throw that into the equation. Um, I think David Shaw said that uh, Jack West was hit twice, and both of those times that he was hit, it was, like, pretty late. Like, he, he was throwing the ball. Um, they weren't really impacting his his throw um what you want to see and if you're a buffs fan what i think you might be kind of clinging to is the idea that last week the pass rush wasn't what it could have been because they were playing a dual threat quarterback and a quarterback who definitely scares you more with his legs than he does with his arm you know he can hit on those deep shots but what you really don't want to give up is a 65 yard touchdown run but how did that go um Instead of just trying to build this little bubble and keep him inside it, I think that they're just going to go flying at Jack West and maybe challenge him to use his legs a little bit. He, he wound up carrying the ball once, picked up one yard. He isn't much of a runner. So don't worry about him running. Get into that backfield and make things tough on him. Um, this is all obviously assuming that there is no Davis Mills, um, which is a huge assumption to make. And there's no reason to think that it's anything but 50-50. That changes things. As we talked about earlier, that is a very talented quarterback who may not have put all the pieces together. Um, I do like the idea of him. I mean, he's already missed at least two days of the week in terms of practice. If they haven't been able to say he's able to come back yet, which they weren't. Um, And he's likely to miss more, even if he is going to play. Um, that should give you a little bit of confidence. But when you look at these receivers, starting with Simi Fioko, who even in this really deep wide receiver class, you know, honestly, he's probably better off holding off one more year um, because he is only a junior. But he would be one of my priorities in terms of receivers in the entire country worth drafting if I was in a position where that mattered at all. Um, but yeah, him at 6'4", 227, Backing him up is Elijah Higgins at 6'3", 235. Um, the other two starting receivers, 6'2", 210, 6'4". Uh, their backups are 6'4", and 6'2". This is a very big group. Their, their starting tight end is 6'4", 278. And again, the reason is because they want to run the ball a whole lot and he's a better blocker than he is receiver, but he's a threat too. 
USC is what really scares you if you're Colorado just because I mean, it's it's just blue chip receiver after blue chip receiver. Guys who you look at and you're like, how are your arms that long and your legs that long and you run that fast and you jump that high and you have great feel for the game. Like Those are just marvelous athletes that you just have to be in awe of. Like That probably is still the biggest, scariest group of receivers to Colorado, but just because of the style of play, this group of very physical receivers that draw a lot of penalties, it scares me. It scares me a little bit. Um, but again, if Colorado goes out there and, and is able to put the clamps on this passing game, then you know that this defense is for real. Um, yeah. Uh, did I have some other thoughts here? Um, I should. I still haven't even pulled up my notes from this game. Um. Yeah, I mean, you have to stay on top of Semi Fioco. That was in the notes. Um, he gets those pass interference calls. He also got called for an offensive pass interference during that stretch where he was at the goal line. I think I said they threw the ball three times. I think they threw the ball two times. The second one was the offensive pass interference, backed him up 15 yards, and then they were in trouble. Um, it's it's going to be a, a tough test. Um, yeah, okay, that's all my notes on the offense. Um, defensively for Stanford. It's um, it's not the scariest group. We can start there. This isn't a defense that I'm really fearing. Um, up front, you have Thomas Booker, uh, a junior defensive end. He's explosive. He can make plays. Um, you you have guys like um, Thomas Schaefer. Uh, Jordan Fox was another guy who made like a couple of plays, but but for the most part, they're big and they're bulky up front, but they weren't spectacular athletes. And I think that that really showed when uh, the Oregon quarterback tried to run the ball. I think there were a lot of times where things weren't really developing downfield the way he wanted them to, and there was a little lane for him to take. And he was able to just weave through all these front seven guys for Stanford because they aren't all that fast. They are big and they're strong, and it's going to be a challenge to move them in the running game. In terms of a pass rush, I think that there's a good chance that Sam Neuer is going to have some time. Now, the caveat here is that the Stanford defense isn't really afraid to throw pressure at you either. And that's what gets quarterbacks into more trouble, um, or at least what I would expect them to get into more trouble with um, going forward. Um Tyler Schuff, though, the Oregon quarterback, finished the last game with 11 carries for 85 yards and a touchdown. I, I think that Sam Neuer's a better runner than he is. And I also think that Stanford now knows that this is one of the flaws early on in its defense is that they are giving up too many rushing yards to a quarterback through one game. Um, I think that that's going to be an emphasis. Again, going back to what David Shaw said today, uh, he said... You anticipate seeing the next team do what went well for the last team. Um, and that was seconds after bringing up how Oregon was able to to have success attacking the edge of that Stanford defense. Again, the edge is where you need a little bit of speed on defense, and it wasn't showing up with the speed option. You know, that's how they were able to do it. Um, so keep an eye on that for Colorado. See if they pull out a couple of those option plays. Um I think it would make more sense to see those in week two than it would in week one. You know, that's that's a decision that 
a quarterback has to make, and it's one that can be a little bit scary. Oh, I did have more I want to say about the Stanford offense. Um, one note that I I really, um, I don't know, something I enjoyed watching was just the way that everybody moves on the Stanford offense. There's a, there, there's a significant amount. I guess there was less this week, um, but I also went back and watched the Colorado game from last year um, where they, they put guys in motion before the snap um, occasionally, but what they do a lot of is running things like like an inside zone run but having the the tight end kick across at the snap. Um, and, and so they'll do that a couple of times and have him kind of just take a defender out because they're following him. And then they threw in a cork this week where they uh, it was a read option with the inside zone option for the running back with the tight end coming across the formation from left to right with the running back potentially going right to left. And then it turned into another option where either the quarterback could pull that handoff and run the ball, or what he ended up doing was throwing that ball to the tight end who picked up a a pretty nice gain. Um, And so that's something worth taking note of, is just kind of the the little intricacies that you see in this Stanford offense, because it really is a pro-style offense. And I think that, you know... David Shaw has a great reputation. He's a great football coach. He has a lot of success um, in in his past. But one of the flaws that we're kind of seeing with him, or I mean, it's early. He he had one down year and one loss so far in 2019 against a really good football team. But the offense is just a little bit dated. But in being dated, in being an offense that might look more like a 2012-2013 offense than a 2020 college football offense is the intricacy in the running game and how they block and a whole bunch of those sorts of things that really help them. And now that we're going down this path, we might as well keep going. I'm not so sure like that it's even a bad thing that the offense is this way. I think the biggest difference is just that Stanford right now doesn't have Christian McCaffrey. And if they did have Christian McCaffrey with this group of big, strong weapons who can block and help make turn turn seven yard runs into 30 yard runs on top of davis mills who's a very talented quarterback who could put things together you know if if stanford just had like just say somehow christian mccaffrey's on campus now instead of back then and that you have like those defensive linemen like solomon thomas and the other big guys who are great pass rushers on top of doing all the things that the current defensive linemen are very good at doing that's the separator. I mean, they're, they're, they're three, four players away from being uh, a national title contender, which, you know, that isn't where Colorado is. I think there are a lot of teams where you could say that about where you, you can put, like, uh, the Heisman Trophy caliber running back there, and he's going to help you guys get to a college football playoff. But there are also a lot of teams that are in Colorado's position where, you know, it, it isn't that you have a solid option at you know, 20 of 22 positions. And so if you did just have a couple more elite athletes that could carry you to wins, go win you some games, you would win. You know, Colorado isn't quite to that point yet. Stanford is right there, though. Um, and so while David Shaw, like, this this could be his last year. Like, I don't, I wouldn't fire a coach after the 2020 season just because of how strange everything was. You know, it, it takes a, maybe a different set of skills to get a team ready 
to to win a bunch of games in a seven game season that doesn't a 12 game season and to go through all these protocols and it's like yeah well good coaches could probably just go do that anyway and it's like yeah that's a good point but at the end of the day are you out there looking for a football coach who's going to be successful in 2020 or a team that's going to be successful in every other year in the history of college football and what's likely to be every year in the future of college football. You know, this is just such an outlier of a year that the skill set, whatever it is that makes a team click during this year, really isn't going to be all that valuable going forward. And so I really wouldn't overreact too much. Um, What are we doing for time here? 58 minutes. Do we save the defense for tomorrow? No. Let's Let's... Let's just keep powering through all this. Um, Like I said, big, bulky. It's going to be a challenge for this offensive line to create running lanes. Um, These are are better tacklers than we saw from UCLA. Um, All those plays where Jarek Broussard basically hit the hole at the same time as a defender but put a little move on him and got by him, there's no guarantee that that's going to work against Stanford you know I am very much bought in to what I saw from Jarek Broussard and I think that he will still be very productive against a defense like this but a big heavy defense you know it can go one of two ways either he's too fast for everybody or he's too small and I'm not betting against him I'm taking him in this matchup but it's definitely something worth watching um getting into the secondary a lot it's a very young group, I think, is where you have to start. You look at the cornerbacks. A Paulson Adebo opted out. He isn't playing this season. That's the other one. Um, and he's another I probably top 15 pick at, at cornerback. He was a, an All-American as a true freshman at Stanford. I don't have to tell you how hard that is to do. Um, incredibly talented. A huge loss for the secondary. And... I wasn't all that impressed by the guys who filled in behind him. I think that offensively, you've got to be taking shots on the side of the field that 13 is on, Ethan Bonner. And he's in a tough position. He'd only start a couple of games coming into this season, but he struggled. And David Shaw tried to defend him today saying, you know, it's it's a tough position, it's, it's like playing pitcher. You can have an incredible game, but three bad plays will ruin it. Um, he said that he was right there on a couple of plays, um, that, that so many of the catches that he gave up were great plays by receivers. He mentioned one in particular that was like this one-handed grab down the sideline. Um, that was the, the one completion that was outside the numbers. But, um, you know, you, you look back and the Oregon threw five passes at Ethan Bonner, well, there were five attempts. All five of them were completed. And he was also called for two penalties of pass interference. Like, what you are doing, if, you, if, if, if you're Sam Neuer, is getting up to the line of scrimmage, finding number 13. If it's a one-on-one, you're throwing the ball down the field. You know, this was something that I said yesterday before I'd gone back and watched his Stanford game that I want to see more of. Now that you've kind of gotten Sam Neuer into a bit of a rhythm, unleash the the long ball. Start throwing some bombs. There's your target. You're starting out in the same way that you're saying like, hey, Stanford, throw the ball outside the numbers. Just just show us you can do it and we'll bring in a couple guys to cover those those spots. But until you do it, 
we're crash in the middle of the field. We're not going to let you take it from us. Um, in the same way that that's how you're starting the game there, you're starting the game picking on Ethan Bonner, um, who, again, could turn out to be a wonderful player. That could have been just like a tough start to the season. Maybe he wasn't ready for whatever reason. He'd only played a couple of games before this. But we saw what we saw, and so you got to go at him. Um, outside of him... You know, again, it's not an all, an all that impressive secondary. Just a pretty average group across the board with a guy who gave up some big completions last week. Um, oh, I guess I should check my notes, but I think that was the big one. <laughs> um, yeah, he gave up a catch or a penalty every time he was targeted. Um a very NFL looking defense. You know, they do have a little bit more of that star position it is changing just a little bit. Um, but just like the offense, this is um, an offense, a defense, just a team in general that you could look at and say either, wow, this is a pro style program or this is just dated and it's time to move on from David Shaw because he isn't somebody who you want as a coach in 2020, like you definitely would have in 2012, 2013, um, using this style of team. Again, I'm not there. I think that you can win this way, and I think that the way they recruit, the way they get offensive linemen consistently coming through this program, the difference is they just don't have a running back who you you want to give the ball to 30 times. You know, they, they might end up happening a couple of times with Austin Jones or with Nathaniel Pete, but they haven't really shown you that they're even like an all-pack 12 caliber guy, which is what you need at the very least if you're going to try to run the offense that, Stanford runs. Um, uh, again, emphasizing that the quarterback should be able to run. Sam Neuer should be able to run against Stanford, and if if he can't run, then that means there's probably an overcorrection because Oregon, you know, 17 26, 227 touchdown interception. It's also a quarterback making his first ever start, um, I believe. I guess I shouldn't just throw that out there. He, he he was 12 of 15 last year as a true freshman. Um I don't I think Justin Herbert started every game if I remember right though. Um Yeah, the other thing is because the quarterback is going to be able to run and because of where those running lanes have come from, um and and because David Shaw basically said sometimes when everybody's in coverage, especially man coverage, that just means that there will be running lanes because nobody's really accounting for the quarterback. And that's just something you have to live with. If they're going to just live with that, then what I would really like to see is a bunch of these flood concepts, you know, get everybody to the right side of the field, hope that it's man coverage or do something before the snap to figure out if it's man coverage. And if it is, then run that flood concept, you know, Think about the right side of the field. You want Brady Russell at tight end, Demetri Stanley in the slot, maybe Daniel Arias outside. You got Daniel Arias just clearing everything out, going deep. You got a 15-yard out from Demetri Stanley behind him. You've got Brady Russell as an outlet down in the flat. You've got Katie Nixon on the other side of the field. Again, no update today, still doubtful. Um, but having him just run a big crosser all the way through, see if you can just empty out that entire left side of the field and open up a running lane for your quarterback. I think that, I mean, that literal thing, that the play I just described worked for a 
it might have been like a 20-yard gain um, for Tyler Schuff last week. And like I said, Sam Neuer is a better runner than Tyler was. Just like by eye test, maybe there's something that we didn't see. But I think that there are ways to beat this defense. And I think that there are ways to beat this offense, too. Um, this is going to be a tough game. Uh, Stanford doesn't see itself as a 4-8 and program. Um, I don't see Stanford as a 4-8 and program. I think that they're although there aren't really any changes to the roster, there's nothing you look at and say, okay, here is why they're going to be so good. Like, Simi Fioka was really good last year. He's going to continue to be really good. He'll probably improve a little bit, but not enough to be like, well, there you go. You went from four to six, and now you have this happening over here, and that's going to get you from six to eight. What Stanford is kind of banking on this season is regression to the mean, you know, saying this is largely the same roster as it was last year. And we think that the the last year's roster was a six-win team and not a four-win team. Uh, and so that gets you up to 500. And on top of that, we think that with another year of growth and development, that everybody's just a little bit more mature, and that's going to get us from six to eight. You know, that's how that's going to work. Um, but... This is a very similar team to the Stanford team that the Buffs beat last year. Um, I think the last that last year's team was likely the better team. And so if Colorado was able to do that then, why can't they do it again now? Um, I don't have an answer. Um, uh, I'm not sure what the line is set at for this game, but I would be curious. Um, but yeah, I think that that's kind of where I'm at with Stanford at this point. We'll keep talking about Stanford throughout the week, um, as you should probably have expected. Um, if you guys have any thoughts, any questions, uh, feel free to leave those in the, uh, where do you leave those in the comment section of the post for today's show at the again, exclusive to DNVR members. So use that buffs promo code and sign up, get yourself a shirt and a mask and a sticker pack and also access to the best coverage of Colorado sports that I think you can find anywhere. Um, also, big beers at the DMVR bar. And also, I get to go flex on everybody that people, that bus fans are like showing out for us. And that always feels good for me. Um, in terms of the rest of the week, we will be going through, I think tomorrow is the last time we hear from Carl Durrell. So report back on that tomorrow. Um, we also got the notes from Stanford and from Colorado today, I guess, too. Um, 33 pages of notes from Stanford. Um, the Colorado notes, I think last week, were 69 pages, which was hilarious. I read every single page. And this week, I think we're going to find some really fun stuff in there. Um, you know, there's things in the notes, like that Darren Cheverini's dad was in the surf rock band, that played the intro and outro for Pulp Fiction. Just important stuff like that. And I think we're going to be highlighting some of the the best things in both of these notes packets and also the most important things um, to know heading into this week. I'm really excited for this game. As we've said, Stanford is a big test. Um, we don't really know what Stanford is, but there's a real chance that they're a contender. They're, they're the best competition for Oregon in the Pac-12 North, especially with what Cal's dealing with right now. Um, you can look at the score and see 35-14 last week. That doesn't tell the whole story. Um, first of all, you have the four missed field goals, and that right there, if they just hit those, which, you know, college football, maybe that's a stretch, that gets you to 
35-26. You factor in... There were some other crazy things. I think there was a fumble near the goal line. There was the pass interference in the end zone. Like, there were more points out there. Um, And there were also more stops out there as well. Um, It's going to be a fun week. And it's going to be a fun Saturday. Uh, And, uh, oh, I should say, this is the last actual note. Because this is going way too long. But um, I said, I think, many, many times that Jarek Broussard was only the second Buffalo to win Offensive Player of the Week. Um, since joining the conference, that was wrong. He's the second running back, which makes so much more sense because, I mean, there have been 12 weeks of football times 10 seasons now, 11 through 19, I guess. Well, so, so not quite, but the point is I misread something and then really ran with it. Uh, so if you said something dumb because of what I told you, which was wrong, you can tell whoever you said that dumb thing to when you were wrong that it's my fault, and I will take the blame for that. Um, that's going to do it for today. I will be back tomorrow with more talking through some of these notes, talking through Carl Durrell's stuff, and maybe some more thoughts on this Stanford game if anything comes up. Uh, see you then. I think they like my Colorado sway, when I'm in it play. And see you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we stationed, patiently awaiting. Oh. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging as the crowd do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hey. Hey. You on your own now, why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Yeah. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it. Wait, my Colorado swag.